Welcome to the Local Government Personnel Services Podcast. My name is Howard Schusler, and I'm the Government Services Director for Lane Council of Governments and LGPS. Today we'll be talking about a few things, but we'll feature salary studies or market studies and classification and compensation studies. Just for the purpose of simplifying things, when I talk about salary studies or market studies, I'm referring to the process by which one agency compares the compensation of its employees with that of what it believes to be its comparators. When I think about classification and compensation studies, I think we're digging in a little deeper. This would typically be when we examine our job descriptions or our job classifications and compare what employees are really doing to what our job descriptions say they are doing. And then we can consider compensation once we're confident that the actual work and descriptions are aligned or consistent. LGPS has performed more than a dozen salary or market studies just this year, uh, and these have been generally pretty quick projects. There are a few basic elements to a salary or market study. First, you need to know which classifications or jobs you want to compare And to do this, you really need to have decent job descriptions written. Second, it's important to decide what elements of compensation you would like to compare, just salary, salary and medical benefits, or things that might be considered compensation, including things like vacation, pension options, holidays, and seniority or longevity pay. Generally, I think it makes a lot of sense to look at total compensation. When it comes to recruiting and retaining your employees, they will be looking at total compensation. Third, you have to decide who are your comparators. If you're a small city in Southeast Oregon, you may not want to include the Portland metro area with your comparators. On the other hand, if you're in the metro area, it may not be reasonable for you to exclude metro area comparators or use small rural agencies as your comparators. A fourth thing, which is really not part of a study, but it influences the study, is whether or not you're talking about union-represented positions or not, and even of more influence, if these represented positions, if they are in a strike-restricted bargaining unit like police or fire, it can have a tremendous impact on your study. I'm very fortunate to have had the opportunity to sit down with a few real experts uh, at doing this work. Uh, Ruth Maddox, who may be familiar to many of you, worked with LGPI before it joined up with LCOG for a number of years and in a variety of capacities. And she's currently working with us as our principal HR consultant. Jill Armstrong also worked with LGPI prior to joining us at LCOG and has been working as a senior HR analyst doing a lot of classification and compensation uh, work with us. Jill also specializes in organizational development. Many of you likely know and have worked with Pierre Robert, our principal labor relations attorney. I'll also ask him a few questions today about class and comp from his perspective in working with unions. So uh, thanks for joining me again, Pierre. Um, We're talking about salary studies, market studies, and classification and compensation studies. And I know that when we're bargaining with strike-restricted bargaining units, unions and associations that are not allowed to go on strike because they're doing things like police or fire, that when we reach an impasse, 
in lieu of strike as an option, the two sides go to what I think is called interest arbitration. And if I remember correctly, the arbitrator picks one proposal or the other. There's no option for the arbitrator to craft a compromise. That's uh, correct. That's a that's a statute. Yes. If you are correct in that. So I'll br uh, I'll bring this back to salary studies, which is what I've been talking with uh, Ruth Maddox and, and Jill Armstrong about. Um, it would seem crucial for an agency to select reasonable comparators when they're developing uh, their proposal, uh, or if there's some other, you know, is, or is there some other legal process for these strike restricted negotiations? You know, do they? Is it is it is it in fact critical for them to really get it right when they're picking their comparators? Uh, let's establish. A presumption here. Are you talking about um, um, bargaining uh, differences over wages and benefits in particular? Yes. Uh, you can go to interest arbitration over any issue, and I've seen, well, uh, well, I've read arbitration cases that, uh, you know, really uh, were about operational matters. You know, I, th I think this is more like when they're, when they're bargaining a collective bargaining agreement, and you're talking about salary. Um, so it could either be talking about a COLA or I know very often I've seen with um, um, law enforcement units when they're when they're talking about market adjustments to their salary, uh, you know they're bringing in their set of you know they'll bring offer up their set of comparators. The agency picks their their set of comparators, uh, and while in typical bargaining, uh, I, I think the management has an advantage in selecting comparators, perhaps. But for strike-restricted bargaining units, it seems to me that it would be really critical uh, to do a good job for the agency to do a good job of selecting comparators so that its proposal is sound. I see, because we're bargaining in the shadow of interest arbitration right. where your comparators have to persuade a, a neutral and biased arbitrator. Yeah. So, so if you pick very sound comparators that are, you know, Methodol methodologically very defensible uh, uh, because uh, they are, you know, more comparable uh, uh, than in, in the important respects and say the comparables proposed by the union. I, I completely agree. Yes. Yeah. And so have, have you experienced that or is it, is it just kind of common wisdom that it would make sense to pick comparators wisely yes uh, in some uh, in some employer union relationships uh, the parties agree they, they literally bargain the question of what are the most comparable um, uh, employers in, in comparable and what in what uh, and, and what are the most comparable uh, communities in which they uh, exist I mean, you can go that far, and that's not a bad way to go, uh, uh, because then there's no fighting over, uh, uh, there's no fighting over, uh, or arguing disagreement over, over what communities and what employers in those communities are comparable. Um, but uh, otherwise, I uh, would. It doesn't come up in every bargaining. You know, not uh, 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 when it comes up, it's typically the union that brings it up. 
um, not employers. I, I consider that usually not a strategy for employers um, uh, unless it knows that, uh, unless the data indicates that uh, a particular employer's employees are, are uh, you know, at the top end uh, uh, in any comp study. That they're, they're generally, that the positions within the bargaining unit are, are uh, much more often being paid above average in total compensation. I, I know that a, a lot of unions will ask to include the city of Portland or Multnomah County, and obviously it's because their wages are generally higher. Am, am I correct in thinking that that's a, a pretty common strategy on the part of unions? Oh, certainly. I mean, look, right, right from the start, I mean, so, so uh, when talking about comparables, there is a statutory suggestion about what makes a uh, one can, uh, one employer comparable to another employer, and that's to go by the population of the the, the, the size of the population that is served by the employer, and the accepted range is uh, is uh, for comparables is um, an extreme of fifty percent of the uh, population, you know, from fifty percent of the population served by the employer who's doing the bargaining up to uh, 150% of the population served uh, when compared to uh, the employer who's doing the bargaining. So you, you start with that. That's the that's a, that's a su suggested uh, by, by statute. Um, and within that range, there's still plenty of um, hair splitting to be done. Um, I, I think the, the most, uh, I have a few criteria that I consider most persuasive. One is the, you know, how close in, in, in the size of the population served. That's obviously, I, that's one of the first, that's one of the, the big three. The second thing is, uh, so, so if you can get really close, if you can find comparators that are, uh, you know, communities, uh, where the comparable employer uh, is serving a population that is within anywhere from 85% to 115% of the population that your agency serves, you know, that's going to be more relevant in the eyes of an arbitrator. And it's, it's simply more comparable, isn't it? Mathematically, it simply is. But there's other factors. Another factor I, I consider, and I, that I, and I think arbitrators consider relevant, is the relative size of the budget of the various employers being used. The size of the population being served is one thing, but I think you should also look at the, the uh, uh, revenue and size of the budget that's available to these other employers. For example, I was in bargaining with a strike-restricted unit, and the union was um, advocating that uh, the police officers in the bargaining unit were way underpaid, and they uh, we looked around. Both parties were looking around at comparators, and uh, there was.
was one town that had a, you know, that was like within 10% of the population of the, of the town that I was representing. This was a city on, on whose behalf I was bargaining. And there was another city in Oregon that was within 10% of the population served. So very comparable in terms of population served, highly comparable. But that community happened to be Cannon Beach. The comparator was Cannon Beach, one of the wealthiest small towns in Oregon. The property values there are very high. It is a tourist community. It has million dollar homes overlooking, you know, those beautiful windswept bluffs uh, that overlook Haystack Rock. You know, it, uh, it, it is one of the best funded. If you take one look, your first look at that city's budget from year to year at its budget document, you immediately see that for a town of its size, it is remarkably well funded. Yeah, but you, you bring up so, a good point here, Pierre, because I know that I have heard unions try to bring up those other cost of living factors into the compensation discussion. So they'll be talking about housing costs or downtown parking costs. So would, would you say that those are reasonable things when unions bring them up because it may really be a thing that management should be listening and considering those also? It's perfectly fair. I think I think it's perfectly relevant to bring up um, those costs. There's nothing wrong or unfair about bringing them up, as long as, uh, as the, the challenge for both parties is to to adopt a methodology that is comprehensive. So, if you're going to look at the cost of parking in one town, you look at the cost of parking. You know, if you decide that that's something relevant uh, to consider. Um, then you got to look at the cost, uh, you know, in all in all of your comparators. Right. My, my, what I what I advocate for is uniformity. Right. And in know? general, would you would you advise uh, jurisdictions to avoid getting into the weeds and things like that, or that it's just as relevant as any other compensation topic? You you have to. Uh, you mean things like housing costs or, 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 or cost of parking? or? Yeah, I mean, is, is a place like Cannon Beach, is that really the, the rare exception, uh, you know, um, or is it, um, should jurisdictions expect to have those sorts of issues thrown into the mix and then be willing to bargain them? Issues like? Like housing cost or downtown parking cost or, you know, the, those non-traditional uh, cost factors? It, it's, it's up to the union to make their case. Um, you know, I, I'm not quickly or easily persuaded by that in bargaining. I think there are far more relevant, you know, far more relevant um, consumer benchmarks to compare um, when it comes to that, I would, I mean, really what most employers do, uh, to make things, to make a bargaining, not get into the weeds, as you, as you said, is to simply adopt a, a CPI benchmark. You're going to consider consumer prices in the area for all goods and services. Um, I mean, you should consider them for all goods and services. Don't just, don't just cherry pick, uh, housing or, 
cherry pick the cost of gas in a particular locale. Um, so it sounds like uh, yeah, it sounds like your conventional wisdom is to that that, that should really be the exception and not um, really part of it. Yes. Yeah. That's, right. Uh, uh, unless the union can make a case, uh, you know, whatever their case would be about that. But I would say that you know consumers everywhere have to consume all kinds of goods and services, not just one or the other. And for that, I I, I suggest that the that the parties consider just you know if that's what's important uh it, it's not com- it's not comparing salaries with other uh similar employees in in, in similar size locales or it, it 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 should be you know wage increases should be uh, based on uh the cost of uh the cost of living in a particular locale then use a comprehensive benchmark like the cpi yeah and, it, and so it sounds like your your conventional wisdom is if you're looking at a comparator, you use something like, uh, you know, 85% to 115% of your city population as one measure. And, and if you wanted to add another one, it could be size of budget and then just go with the CPI. Um, okay, Let's, I want to be clear. I mean, you're going to, so when, you, when you're going to do your, if you're going to look for comparators, you're going to find what you find. You may not find cities between 85 and 115% of right. the populations, you know, of, of your town. But when you do, that's, you know, you'll notice that that's you know, more comparable than, say, a city that's 140%. Right. And, um, and I was thinking, and I was thinking 75% and... 125% or whatever it is, but picking a standard like that to try to keep it within a, a range as a target to would be a, a wisdom that you're offering up. Sure, but you don't have any control over it. You're going to find what you find. Yeah. You know, uh, you'll find whatever. You might find uh, several or you might find none <laughs> uh, within within your, your that, 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 that are really, really common. Right. to the size of your town yeah. and really, really comparable in the size of the overall size of the budget. Um, uh, but the third thing I, I, I'm going to, there's one other factor that I think arbitrators who hear interest arbitration cases uh, uh, consider, and that's the, the relative distance that the comparable, uh, employer is from you, from the employer who's doing the bargaining, who's in the bargaining. Uh, if, if you're on the Southern coast and, um, you know, uh, you have a comparable community that say the town of enterprise in Northeast Oregon, um, Yes, you can find some similarities in, in population and maybe in the size of your budget that, that make it a relevant comparator, but I think arbitrators will consider um, a comparator who's got similar size population and a similar size budget, which is a 40-minute drive from your town more relevant. Makes for sense. comparison purposes, than the same size town that's 300 miles away. That I think is uh, the third thing. Well, 
that that makes sense because especially when employees can without too much difficulty move a short distance to work for that other employer or uh, even work for that other employer without 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 moving yeah that, that makes a lot of sense so I mean when we're talking about comparators though those are to me those are the three things that that matter the most that 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 you want to see comparison with just just for purposes of identifying other employers this doesn't address the questions of comparing a, a, you know a, a maintenance to employee in one town versus uh, a maintenance to employee in another that's a whole nother right and and for what it's work yeah that's I mean, I, ruth and jill will talk about that a lot more yeah. how do you do the actual yeah. comparators as right. well as uh looking at things through an equity lens Thanks to Pierre Robert, the LGPS principal labor attorney, for his thinking around salary studies. This perspective really is rooted in a unionized work environment and how we approach the issue of salary studies or comparisons from the point of view of a negotiation or bargaining process. I think his wisdom of how to select comparators and what elements of compensation to compare apply equally to non-union environments. This is part one of a two-part podcast on salary studies and classification and compensation in general. Part two includes talks with Ruth Maddox and Jill Armstrong, and we'll get a little more into detail about job classifications and compensation. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you'll join us again. Some upcoming topics include corrective action, some discussion about how to address employee performance and conduct issues, and of great importance these days, What will the post-COVID workplace look like? Will people ever be coming back to work in the same way? Are there best practices emerging? And the questions can go on and on and on. So on behalf of LGPS, thanks for listening. And until next time, take care.